Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode six of the Future Belongs to Creators. Today, we are talking about 22.3 creative business ideas we'd start today if we weren't currently running a software business. Also, we only have about eight at the moment because we haven't thought through this in detail, but you know, we'll do it all live. So uh, I guess diving in, Barrett, how are you today? I'm good. First of all, this is Nathan Barry. I'm Barrett Brooks. If you're tuning in for the first time, it's good to see you, hear you. Or good for you to hear us, I guess, would be how that works. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't hear you. But uh, yeah. Well, let's see. How am I today? I would say that I am yellow, yellow, but like a little green. I don't know. It hasn't been a very productive day for me. I've been kind of struggling to get into a flow today. Hopefully, the podcast will then lead to an afternoon of productivity. We have got driving rain here in Portland. Um which is not rain that you drive in. It's rain that comes down really hard. And it's kind of dreary compared to the nice weather over the past week and a half. It's, it's making a quarantine situation be a little bit less enjoyable. Um, but, you know, we're okay. We're moving along. Yeah. How are you doing today? Um, maybe green. I'm like a little surprised to say that, I think. Um, I've got, I've got I like some it. stuff done today. You know, this morning, instead of diving into work, we spent some time reading uh, Oliver and August get up earlier than Hillary and Josiah. And so uh, Oliver and August and I were just reading. We're currently on book five of Harry Potter, um, which is my favorite Harry Potter book. It's the best one, Order of the Phoenix. Um, we're about two thirds of the way through that. And then to August, I'm reading him The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the Narnia series. Ooh. And yes. Yeah. Really good. Uh, we're only like a third of the way through the book. It is interesting as I'm like reading through it, you know, I feel like I can read Harry Potter for like 30 minutes and because I'm reading it on the Kindle, it goes from like 62% to 63% of the way through the book. And then I read the Narnia book for like 15 minutes and you're like, great, you're a third of the way done now. And I realize, oh, these are radically different length books. So anyway, it was a good way to start the morning. The boys are both enjoying those books. And uh, so, yeah, I'm doing good. It's awesome. Good. Let's see what's going on in the world. Well, uh, the U S now is over 40,000 cases. The world is in the multiple hundreds of thousands of cases now. And, um, I just pulled up the dashboard 409,000 total globally and 50,000 in the U S and like a scary number, number of those are just in New York. If you're tuning in and you're in New York, I hope you're staying safe and staying inside. Um, it's really not a good situation in New York. And good news is the military is starting to make plans for turning hotels and other buildings into hospitals there to create extra capacity. But we're definitely in for for some more uh, more growth of this thing before it levels off at a minimum. And it sounds like the kind of federal recommendations might go away within a few weeks if if things don't change. So oh, that was frightening to hear. I don't know. Did not yeah. like that. Um, 
our official recommendation is that we're going to need some more time of this. And uh, it's probably going to be a couple months here where we really got to focus on slowing the thing down so that we can all get back to work, which I think should be the focus of everyone. Do what we can now so that everyone, especially the people who are at risk, the healthcare workers, the people who can't work and can't make a paycheck can get back to normal as fast as possible. Yep, for sure. I think that was the well realization that I had this morning of in the numbers were still in the 40,000s this morning for the United States when when I checked it but I'm realizing two things at the same time how many people that is and then also what a tiny percentage of the population that is of like oh this yep. being really bad would be when we get into the millions and that right we're currently trending that way um very very quickly mm-hmm. as you look at this exponential growth yeah it's going to be a problem it is. It's uh, it's interesting. We, at the beginning of March, started making contingency plans for our conference, and um, we'll be making a final call on that end of this week on whether to move forward with it. And our initial criteria for consideration was if we had 5,000 or more cases at the end of March. We're officially an order of magnitude more than that. Yes. So... You know, it just shows how quickly exponential numbers can really take off and how important it is to do our, do our part. So actually you bring up an interesting point there. Um, something that I think is helpful when things get out of control or, or actually anytime in decisions is writing down that little snapshot of your thinking, because as things change and move quickly, your opinion changes with it. And so having that where you write down, okay, this is what we're thinking now. If things look like this at this time, then we're going to make this call. And you have that little snapshot and it's written down and you can go back to it and go, wow, I was so naive way back um, 11 days ago, you know, or, or whatever time. And you right. can also do it with a bunch of other things of like, if you hire an employee or you take on a client or something, you can ask those questions and say, okay, if this goes really well, it will look like this. If this is going to fail, it will look like this and it will fail in these ways. That way, say, you know, a few months later, the project is failing. You know, to your core, it's failing. You're like, no, 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 it's probably fine. You like pull up that little decision journal or those advanced notes that you wrote for yourself and go, oh, check, check, check. Yeah, okay. Past me would have called this a total failure and current me is just trying to justify it because I don't want to pull the plug or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people refer to it as a decision journal um, that kind of helps you evaluate your thinking in the future in an objective way. So we've definitely been fans of that. Every person we hire, actually, we have a conversation. Okay, if this goes well, what will that look like based on what we know about them today? If this doesn't go well, how will we know that um, the things we might have had concerns about have played out that way? So anyways, fun little tool there. Uh, Today's topic, to turn the tables to that, is (laughs) 22.35 creative business ideas we'd start today if we weren't running a software company. And, um, I, you know, I said 22.35 cause we'll change the title later to however many we come up with. We've got a nice running start here, but, um, I think the goal of this is if you're a creator out there and, or you're just getting started really as a creator, you're interested in starting a creative business because maybe you're at home right now, uh, and you have more time than you're used to, or maybe just the insecurity of the situation has inspired you to have multiple streams of income, or you want to have a fallback option in case your full-time job or something like that ever doesn't work out in the future. We wanted to just go through and share ideas that we've had that illustrate how we think about the kinds of businesses that can work online. 
And so as we go through this, I think one of the goals is, yes, to share some ideas and feel free to run with any of them if you'd really like to, but more to show kind of how we think about coming up with ideas and why we're interested in different ones that we come up with here. So um, we'll see how many we can get through and maybe we'll share them and kind of the premise of them and why we think it would be great. Yeah. We'll maybe bounce back and forth and see how it goes. Sounds good. Well, I always like to think about... I have endless ideas. So I think about, okay, if for some reason I woke up tomorrow and it's like, you can't work in software and you can't teach people how to build an audience or any of those things, like what would you do? And I think the first one that I would do is I would start a sign making company. I love woodworking. It's not a surprise to anyone who knows me. And, uh, you know, I have the CNC machine called an X carve. And so I've built things in my other office. I had this giant create sign that's behind me. And so I would uh, like go about making signs for small businesses. There's this company uh, in the Bay Area called Tinkering Monkey, and they're fun to follow on Instagram. You know, they make signs for uh, all kinds of tech companies and stuff like that. Like here's one they did for Turo. But it's just all these fun, really cool projects. And I would make a ton of those because I think that that's really fun. I'd probably sell them digitally and then, or sell them online you know, and take orders that way, similar to what Tinkering Monkey does. And I'd blog about the whole process. I would, you know, here's what we're making. Here's the behind the scenes. And then I'd also try to come up with some prints or things like that. So there's a lot of people like uh, Jeff Sheldon from Ugmonk or Sean McCabe um, from SeanWest.com who have made all these great prints of like their designery ideas. And I think I would do that. Like I would make, uh, have these custom projects that I do because that'd be really fun. And then try to find some, sellable, like manufacturable products where it's like a poster or a print, but it's made out of wood and it brings in some of my design skills. So I'd have that balance of like working with clients and then also this byproduct that I could sell, you know, where I could just sit down and make like 20 or 25 of them and then sell through those over time. Yep. Yeah. That hits on an idea we were talking about yesterday, just in terms of using your work product to turn those into things that can serve many people over time. Uh, so I love that. Um, my first one, and I've had this idea forever, I would be kind of bummed if someone stole it, but realistically, I know I'm not going to be able to work on it for so long that it probably wouldn't even matter. Uh, there is this, I, I believe that the fashion industry is at the point the food industry was at like 20 years ago in terms of materials and inputs to the process. And that's true from a labor standpoint, from like literally the cotton that's grown and everything. And there's this big movement in the fashion industry for sustainable clothing to be made made from things like tinsel, organic cotton, hemp, materials that either don't require as many resources to make or aren't as poisonous because of the number of um, chemical pesticides and things like that that they're required to grow. And so I've always thought it would be fascinating to start a men's fashion blog, which is nothing new. And I, I say men's just because I'm a man and I don't know women's fashion like I know men's, but solely focused on promoting products from sustainable, but attractive fashion companies. So not just like, you know, some t-shirt that someone threw together that is sustainable, but doesn't serve any fashion sense, but really looking at the overlap between the highest quality, best made, most responsible clothes and outfits that look really good, I think could be a really fascinating combination. My real dream has always been that I think with, um, 
improvements in technology, there's now these, these cameras that can take a photo of your body and essentially know what your measurements are. And we're getting really close to these being very accurate. And then on the other side, we're starting to build machines that can cut clothes to measure based on the photos of your body. And so my long-term vision would be build the web-based version that you know, just promotes clothes, daily outfits, stuff like that, just like any men's fashion blog, and then slowly get into custom shirts, maybe even just t-shirts to start with that are made to fit your body only, which is more sustainable because people keep the stuff longer. It fits better, feels better. And then eventually I've always dreamed of like owning the vertical supply chain where you buy a cotton farm. Um, I'm from Atlanta originally, maybe down in the South and you take it organic and then use that to fuel the shirt line. Anyways, I think that would be a really fun business idea. And if I really had a bunch of time on my hands, it's all e-commerce based for a lot of these companies who are sustainable brands and you could promote all of that from home, which I think would be really interesting. Yeah, that's good. It makes me think of, which I could use as a resource of the day because I didn't have one yet, but it uh, makes me think of the book, Let My People Go Surfing about the story of Patagonia. Like that's something that you've talked about mm-hmm. a lot, but I only recently read the book. And, and so it's cool to hear about their process of going organic and, and everything like that. And it's interesting because that change for them um, felt a lot like on a much larger scale, I think, uh, us making changes to our free plan. Right. I mean, they basically just drew a line in the sand and said, by this date, we will be 100% organic cotton. And there were so many people in the company who were like, that's not possible. Right. We can't do that. It will kill us. Messes up all the existing supply chains, everything. And it did, you know, it did. It created all these problems and they made it. And in the process, they've been able to completely change the industry because now there's all these suppliers popping up. There are farms that are able to go organic, which is a seven-year process, by the way, which is a really tough thing on the farmers. Oh, because it has to, you have to get everything out of the soil and all of that. Right. And so they've been working as a part of all of these industry groups where you can uh, basically label cotton transitional, Okay, where it's no longer actively being used. Uh, pesticides are no longer actively right. being used, but it's not yet certified. Same thing with like certified, uh, there's a goose down okay. program that's like humane and things like that. So anyways, there's this whole movement that I think you could get in on early if you started today, which is why. So timing, yep. timing is the principle there. Looking at movements that are starting now And where if you're an early adopter, it might feel like, oh, that's old news. But for the masses, you know, it's just now becoming something that people pay attention to. I think that's always really something interesting, especially if you have patience to start a creative business around. Yep, for sure. Okay, my next one that I would start, and I might actually start this one. It's like terrifying Barrett because he's like, what are you you doing? (laughs) No, and that's a tiny house hotel. I love tiny houses. I love woodworking. And I really enjoy like creating experience and share with other people. So my office right now is in our little guest house that sometimes I rent out on Airbnb. Um, I did a lot last summer and other times. And so like we're creating a little farm here. And so I like the idea of people being able to come and stay and sharing that with them and they get to come, you know, meet all of our goats and, you know, experience the farm. Um, But I'd like to do that with the tiny house hotel. And I think that that would be really cool to show, you know, like these high-end custom-made tiny houses and let people stay and experience that and then have like this whole community feel to it. And then, of course, those signs that I made or any other woodworking products, I would feature in and around the hotel and you could buy them if you wanted. So get a little merchandising in there. Naturally. I love that. One of our listeners, Emily, says that she stayed in a tiny house hotel in Portland and said it was super fun. Um, I know that one. That's cool that you stayed there. What I love about this is it's got the built, built-in built Instagram ability. Right. 
or the Instagram effect maybe is like a, a term we could coin uh, for our show where documenting that process in visuals would be so right. engaging. And if you did it well, it would be a really nice marketing channel to kind of build an email list around and then grow from there. And you'd have this built-in revenue model as well, where yes, the visuals are stunning and they can uh, that can grow to a very wide audience, but then a very small number of people can come and stay for money. And that's the thing, right? Is that you're going to have a lot of people who pay attention to your stuff and never buy it. But like we talked about in one of the earlier episodes, you only need a very small group of people to actually pay you in order to make a sustainable living from this thing. And so what I love about that is there's this offline component, but all of the online media stuff that creators do still applies very much to that business, just like it would to selling an online course or whatever. Yeah. And I think that it's just another great example. And you'll see this as a theme through everything that we're doing of finding businesses where there's a great opportunity to tell the story and to like work in public and share that behind the scenes process. So that when someone says, you know, comes to Portland or, or comes to Boise or whatever, they're like, yeah, I mean, I got a hotel room and, and all of that, you know, but it, you know, eventually people will come to Boise for craft and commerce and they're like, Oh, did you get one of the four spots or one of the six spots at the tiny house hotel? Like that's the, that would be the thing where this online community and this uh, brand that it's built up is really driving the local demand. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have to go faster to fit in enough ideas here. Maybe we'll get (laughs) to nine or something. My next one was music production of electronic songs for YouTube videos, podcasts, and other things like that. As we've gotten more into media other than writing at ConvertKit to build our brand, I mean, this is going to be obvious to a lot of people who have been in that world forever, but the communities of song makers and producers is incredible. And the the platforms where YouTubers and creators can go to buy that music and license it for their stuff is pretty incredible too. You have to, it's hard to stand out, right? And so this is really a numbers game where you'd want to be really producing almost like, I, I think of it almost like an artist with series of art that you would do. You do like different moods of, um, kinds of songs that you're producing. So I'm going to do more of like a somber mood where you've got like a down moment in a YouTube video or a story or a documentary. And I'm going to do a whole series of songs that I produce that fit that kind of mood. And then I'm going to do a triumphant mood and I'm going to do a whole series on that. And then I would sell those both on my own site, ideally to have a brand that's like very catered to creators that care about high quality audio in their art. And then I would also promote it on some of them, probably not all of it, some of it on other platforms like Musicbed and other places like that so that I could get discovered. I think it could be a really interesting business. And, you know, they always say, sell the the pickaxes, don't go mine, don't go mine for gold. This is a perfect example where I think YouTube and podcast, podcast for sure is still in the early innings, but even YouTube is still in the early innings. There's not saturation there to the same degree that there is for writing online, although it's getting closer. And if you can be a supplier to all of those people getting into that, I think that can be a really productive way to, to earn a living. Yep. That's great. All right. My next one is I mentioned that X carve, uh, CNC machine that I have. So basically for those who don't know, it, it's like a three foot by three foot square, and then it has a computerized router that goes around. So the reason I like it is it combines my design knowledge. I can do things in illustrator, or, you know, any vector graphics tool, and then make it come out in the woodworking, which I love, but I would create a community for that. So the X carve community exists somewhat, but I think there could be a dedicated, site and channel all about that. Instead of just being about everything in woodworking, it would be narrowed in really specifically on people who have this 
X carve machine. Um, it makes some money through affiliate revenue. It would make some money through courses and that kind of thing, you know, selling related products. But I think the coolest thing is as you build for the X carve, you can share whatever, like these inventables, um, is the company. So the, the you can share these files and other people can just load it, like get a piece of wood of the same size and cut it out. So there's this amazing community that you could create. They have some stuff out there, but where you're saying like, okay, I'm going to have a new, um, project come out every day or every, every week. And someone can just load that and try it. Like I have this little catapult that I made for the boys. That's, you know, maybe 10 inches by six inches or something. And I made it, you know, totally custom and all of that, but I have a version of it that I'm still playing with where it could, uh, on the X carve, just cut out all the pieces and just assemble it. So take something like that's really complicated and turns it into a plug and play thing. And I think that could be a great community. Yeah, I love that. And you could imagine that applying to a bunch of other scenarios too. So 3D printing, mm-hmm. pumpkin carving, like there's all of these similar, completely unrelated on the surface, but similar style of business where you're providing templates for people to create stuff on their own. It's just like why coloring right. books took off again recently, because people want new forms of entertainment and they also want things that make them feel accomplished or skilled. And this is a thing where if you can give them a template and teach them how to do it with like a color by numbers approach, that's one step on the path to being able to do it themselves, which I think people really enjoy. Progress is something that inherently caters to our minds. Yeah. And I think what I, the other point that I would make with that is as you're thinking of an idea, feel free to go really specific. Like the tendency would be like, really, how many of this exact machine has this one small company ever sold? I mean, a decent number, but not like hundreds of thousands, not millions, you know? And so you're like, oh, this market's too small, but feel free to start really small. And then if later that grows into like a full woodworking YouTube channel or something, cool. But you, uh, until then you can become the definitive expert in this one tiny little area and then go broader from there. Yeah. Cause you always have that option, right? If you run out of ideas to create stuff related to the topic, or if you run out of audience growth, then you can always switch. But here's the secret when you get into a topic, you realize you never run out of ideas yeah. because the deeper you get, the more nuanced it is. And even though it feels risky up front, you very, I very, I actually, I don't think I've ever talked to a creator who said, there's no more people who are interested in this. Right. I can't find anymore. I've never had that conversation. I haven't had it either. All right, Barry, give us two back to back. Great. On the topic of specifics, I've always wanted to well, actually, I, I barely have fly fished. I love fly fishing, but I've barely done it on my own. So in my head, of course, anytime I'm interested in something, I turn to, well, I should start a business based on that. And the business I would start related to fly fishing is detailed online fly fishing guides for the rivers and streams of central Oregon. And okay, so this is a perfect example of specificity, right? There is a whole community of people who live in the area that can only like regularly fish in central Oregon. It's a destination. So people go there. And in a lot of the places you're looking for mile markers and like a tree that fell down or something as how, you know, you've arrived at the spot. And so what I imagine is if you could create really detailed instructions with good photography and things like that, about how to get to good locations at different times of the year, and then maybe even publish updates to what kind of flies are fishing well uh, at any given time in different areas. Now you've got this built-in community of highly engaged people who all want to fish in this one area. So you have a small slice of the world you have to be an expert on, and they know to come to you. 
So I thought that would be really fun. And you could, I think that's so cool. Like going really, really specific there. And then if you think about it with this site, I'm really only trying to make 10, 20 people really happy. And then you get that little community right. going. They're the ones commenting on your posts of like, oh, I was at that spot. Or they're saying, you know, they read your post of where to go. And they're like, actually, if you go, you know, 200 yards upstream, then you'll see this and, and they'll feed on it. It sounds really good. Yeah, exactly. And you could switch out Central Oregon for whatever, uh, Nantahala National Forest in North Carolina or whatever you want to switch it out for. Um, my second one is... I would go back and redo the original company I started, which at the time was called Living for Monday. And I just didn't, I didn't know how to run a business at the time. And so there were, there were all of these things that I know now that I didn't know then, but I would start it as just, um, if you ever heard of Ramit Sethi, he's got this, this course called Dream Job and it's very effective. He's smart. And he was later in his career when he built that course. So he had a lot more credibility. And so like for me now, having run a company and hired a bunch of people and led teams and all of this, I've got a much different perspective on what it takes to land a great job. I would create a course about finding careers with mission-driven companies or something like that. And the whole flagship course would just be, what are the actual tactics that work? Um, not like uploading resumes to databases and things like that, but who you need to know, the expertise you need to build, the way you need to position yourself and all of the things that actually lead us to being interested in a candidate. That's what I would teach. The key there would be defining what is a mission-driven company? Like, what do I mean by this? And I think I would almost entirely focus it on like very future-oriented, what are the major problems in the world that we need to solve and how do you find a job at companies working on those problems? So Tesla or I would have said Whole Foods before they got acquired, but, you know, companies that are focused on little slices of the pie that make up solutions to the world's biggest problems. That's good. On the topic of revisiting old businesses, I would do one of teaching design. I think a lot has changed in the last. Yes. I kind of ended that seven years ago, six years ago, um, as I switched to ConvertKit and you know, then I'm like, I had a whole, a whole course on uh, Photoshop for web design. And at the time, no one was teaching Photoshop in that way, but everyone was using Photoshop in that way. And so now, since tools have gotten so much better, right? Figma's free instead of being hundreds of dollars like Photoshop. And it's designed so much more accessible. I think I would do a Figma course, maybe not specific to that tool, but I would do a design course that features Figma and, and all of that. I've been helping a few other friends like learn typography and some of these other things. And, and it's just, it's something that I love. So I think I would revisit all of that if I... It's maybe a little close to software where I'm in, but yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be fun though. I think to, um, to go back and even just create a course, you know, uh, and maybe we'll hold each other accountable to this at some point, but spending like 72 hours building and literally like creating all of the content for a course on topics that we know so much more about today, I think could be really fascinating and fun. Um, so maybe the tip there is revisiting topics that five or 10 or 20 years ago you were interested in, right. but didn't know enough about to really teach at the level that you would today. And now today you've become an expert because of that previous interest and you could teach at a whole nother level, um, I think are always interesting topics to explore. Well, we used up a bunch of time. No surprise. We did. Um, let's dive in. Oh, we've got one creator for today. We'll keep it uh, easy. Uh, and that is Eric Friedenson. Um, I'm going to link, just drop a link into the chat. There you go. But if you check out um, 
his story. It's on Tradecraft, our, our online blog. It's also on the YouTube channel. So there's a, a video version of it. But in times like this, I think his story is just perfect. Um, it starts with uh, his apartment burning down in New York City and where he goes from there. He's an incredible artist. And uh, yeah, check that out. Um, he goes by F dot. So E F D O T online. You can find all his stuff. Yep. Uh, love Eric. And if you want more from him after you watched his story or read his story, he also gave a talk at craft and commerce last year, which is also on our YouTube channel, or you can find it at conference.convertkit.com where we've got all the past talks, uh, up there. Um, okay. One resource for the day. Uh, mine is, uh, and this, this is borderline woo woo, which I always worry about cause I, I never want to be perceived that way, but it had a, it had a big impact on my life. Um, so it's called the the wisdom of the the tool is called the enneagram in general, but the book that I particularly like is called the wisdom of the enneagram, and um, it's a little bit of like a personality test, except for it's not a test and it doesn't tell you the answers. It actually just tells you here's how to determine what you think best represents you, and the reason I like it is that a lot of what I learned about myself in that process helped me highlight either weaknesses of my own that I needed to focus on. And so like one of those at work, for example, was black and white thinking. And that that's something that's very attractive to me is this or that. And those are the only two options without recognizing that actually those are the two ends of a sliding scale. And if I can be more conscious of the fact that it's a scale, not an either or, I can have a lot more nuanced conversations at work and in my personal life. The second thing it did for me was it helped me realize where I was still carrying baggage from earlier in my life, either from work or from family life. And it helped me start to address those things. And some of those conversations were really powerful for me and unlocked just kind of another level of comfort with who I am today, but also just less mental baggage to carry around going forward. And um, if it can have that same kind of effect on you, then I want you to know about it. So the Enneagram, if you, if you are into that kind of thing. Yeah. The Enneagram is great. We've had many long conversations. Uh, actually, it's been really fun with us and a few others of our friends and, and uh, all of our spouses, you know, in some mountain cabin yep. or <laughs> all kinds of places <laughs> discussing the ins and outs of the Enneagram and, and we love it. Yeah. Um, before we go to a closing thought, I want to say a couple of things. One, if you have uh, business ideas, I would just spend some time, like find a, a place around your house because um, that's all you're going to go to. Uh, grab a notebook and brainstorm some of those ideas. You know, if I wasn't working this job, this is, you know, this is what I would do. If I had to give up computers entirely, okay? Let's say I can't even create anything online. What am, what am I going to create? What am I going to do? You know, and just put in a few of these artificial constraints and see where that brings you. And then the other thing, I want to do an episode, maybe we could do this tomorrow on changing business models in the time of COVID-19. Because I think we've seen, Kashna dropped this comment about Peyton Sip Studio making the switch to go online. Uh, I know one of our other team members talked about a yoga studio doing that. You mentioned the barbell or the kettlebell studio making some of those shifts. And so I want to do an episode on that. So if you yeah. have examples of that, drop them in the chat and we'll uh, discuss them on tomorrow's episode. And then I just want to close with uh, this poem actually. So a bunch of us uh, at ConvertKit all have coaches from the organization Reboot. We're huge fans of them. And, you know, I think it'd be an interesting time to be a, you know, a leadership coach because you have all of these leaders who are having to make incredibly tough decisions who are in really challenging times. And so there's this poem that they started circulating to each one of us. 
And so, you know, like a few of us got it shared by our reboot coaches. And so I want to share it with all of you. I'll pull it up uh, and then read along. It's called Lost by David Wagner. I think it goes, stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. Must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying here. No two trees are the same to the raven. No two branches are the same to the wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows. I love that. It's just, uh, to me, it represents a message of stillness and appreciation for what's right in front of us right now. And um, in times of uncertainty and in times of fear and anxiety, all we can really do is, is pay attention to what, what's right in front of us and really appreciate the little details, you know, each new tree in the neighborhood flowering or each interaction with our kids or whatever your version of that is. And um, so it's a good poem. We'll put it put it in the show notes whenever we get around to publishing this thing on audio, <laughs> which it, that is not going to be a long running joke. That is going to happen. It's just it a matter of, uh, of time. Um, all right. Well, 34 minutes isn't so bad. Hope y'all have a wonderful day. Stay safe and um, take care of each other. See you tomorrow. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Yeah.